Hello. How do you do? Welcome to California PC 187, the podcast. 187 is the penal code in California for homicide. Brett, Cheryl and we focus on murders that have taken place primarily in Los Angeles County. Some of the details might be grimy and disturbing. Brett and Cheryl sometimes use potty mouth words and Dutch occasionally barks. Listener discretion is advised. Murder! Murder, murder, murder. You got away with murder. You got away with a lie. Seventh, twenty twenty, and this is Cheryl. This is Brett, <coughs> and this is California PC one eighty seven. The podcast, and we haven't recorded in a long time. We've had a couple of bumbling uh, episodes that we didn't finish. Uh, well, yeah, we tried to, but we usually end up arguing, and so we stopped no, recording. No, but, we... yeah, but the reason why we um why the main reason why we didn't record is because we were working a lot. Yeah. The pandemic occurred, and we started working pretty much 12 hours a day, seven days a week, and doing um, grocery shopping and delivering food. Uh, during the pandemic. Yes, during the pandemic. Everybody's freaking out at the stores. Yes, and um, so I hope that everybody's still abiding by the, um, you know, the rule of wearing your face mask. I mean, I don't know, it's not a law, and um, a lot of people keep... Basically, we're at the beach right now, at Cabrillo Beach in San Pedro, and there's nobody, nobody. Usually, the only people wearing their masks lately, Brett and I have noticed, are Brett and I. So, I don't know. If you guys aren't taking it seriously, I wish that you would, because um, that was a really fucked up time, you know? It was really fucked up, and um, it's still not, you know, we're not out of the woods yet, and we need to be safe, wash our hands, wash our bodies, stay clean, you know? Uh, use hand sanitizer, wear your mask, stay six feet away from people, don't go out as much as possible, um, you know, you take sleep. care of yourself, take care of others, think of others, you know? Sleep every night at least four hours. Uh, what? Sleep every night at least four hours. Okay, and also, um, I would like to thank all of the other podcasters who just put out so much content because that really helped Brett and I a lot through, you know, all the delivering and and the stress of it all, and um, thank you. No, thank you. It takes me away. Me too. I love it. Yeah. And um, also, Dutch is here. She had a birthday. She turned nine years old on June 21st. And she got to spend uh, a couple nights on a couch, watching TV, relaxing, no stress. Yes, we got a hotel room, and she got to chill out. She loves hotel rooms. She loves stretching out on the bed and just snoozing her little buns off. Yeah, taking the whole bed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's, let's see, she's last uh, month, month, she's got two for two. She's batting a thousand. What do you mean? Striking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Dutch has a little issue, but yeah, we're not going to talk about that right yeah, now. It's not an issue. This is her. She's a dog. 
So let me um, tell what the sources are for the story that we're going to do. Yeah, sure. Why don't you repeat the research and sources you have in the research? Okay. Um, so, um, San Pedro case repudiated murder confession of fight. What? Oh, that's from the Independent Long Beach, California, December 4th, 1957. A talisman against the dark forces. Public Justice, Private Mercy, A Governor's Education on Death Row, Edmund G., quote-unquote, Pat Brown, with Dick Adler. Uh, that's from New York. Widenfield and Nicholson are the publishers. FYI, no, no relation. Wikipedia, FamilyTreeNow.com, Ancestry.com, um, UrbanDictionary.com. Okay, The People versus Turville. Number 51, California 2D, 620, dockets numbers, criminal 6224 to 6249, February 8th, 1959. Um, appeals from judgments of the Superior Court of Los Angeles County, Ralph K. Pearson, Judge. Shanghai Red Cafe in San Pedro, South Bay History. Sam Near, Daily Breeze Files, blogs.dailybreeze.com. My San Pedro. San Pedro Stories, the notorious port of Los Angeles, mysanpedro.org. Hmm. Witness, 17 hunted in mystery slang, Long Beach Press-Telegram, August 28, 1957. FBI nabbed suspect in port killing, Pasadena Independent, August 30, 1957. Slay details related, yeah. Long Beach Independent, August 31, 1957. Okay, so those are the sources. I will also put them in the notes. This story that we are about to tell is, uh, it's an old one, and it's not, uh, I guess it's not very well known, you know, you'd think it would be, especially since Pedro people are so into their, uh, you know. Culture and history. And to being Pedro people. Right, yeah, it's the urban legend, you know. Right? Yeah, it's not nothing like Bukowski, Bukowski is an urban legend, but this, this guy should be an urban legend too, because he did a lot of things for the community. He absolutely did. Okay, so this is going to be the story of the murder of Milo Severn Smith, who was an attorney in San Pedro, California. San Pedro, Los Angeles, Los Angeles, California. San Pedro, he's a sharp-dressed man. He was a very sharp-dressed man. Okay, so we'll be back in two minutes. Bye. Do? Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> Do... Do. Dutch, how are you feeling this good morning? Oh, did you hear that, Brett? What'd she say? What'd she say? What'd she say? <laughs> um, I don't know how to speak dog language, but I don't think Bro. it was very nice. Dutch? Oh, I heard her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, good night. So, this is Cheryl. It's Brett. This is California PC 187. The podcast. And we are here. We're going to get our episode done tonight um, because we just haven't done it. You know, like we keep recording it and then not liking it and et cetera, et cetera. But so Dutch is also here, as you heard. She's not in a good mood. So um, she's going to go to sleep, hopefully, and not bite my face off. And um, we're going to record the episode about Milo Severn Smith. Milo. Of San Pedro, California. 
And actually, I think that the next few episodes are going to be set in California. Or in San Pedro. In San Pedro, yeah. The, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of history between San Pedro. Yeah, but I'm talking about murder, not history. Well, it, it, along with murder, there's history, too. Okay, so do you have anything else to say, Dutch? Okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Five, six, seven, eight. Go. <clears throat> when Mrs. Marjorie Knutson arrived to work at 7.50 a.m. the morning of Tuesday, August 27, 1957, at the law offices of Smith & Wyman, located at 821 South Pacific in San Pedro, California, she walked into hor a horrific scene that would shake her to her very core. Wasn't she like on a, uh, they were on a, like a, a specific like program they did. They, she would get there at a certain time, make coffee. And it, it was like they were always on a regimented uh, program. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty like, you know, they could pretty much count on each other. Right. Mrs. Smith, their secretary, and Mr. Milo Smith, the lawyer, could count on each other to always be where they said they were going to be when they said they were going and to be And when something out of place, it was a red flag. So, the night before, she and her longtime boss, a highly regarded attorney who, at 55, had a career that spanned over 30 years in the San Pedro region of Los Angeles. They closed the doors at 821 South Pacific for the night and went down the street and around the corner to a bar where they talked about work over cocktails. I, I'm wondering I, where they went. I'm thinking they went to Goodfellas. Maybe, maybe because they've been around. I didn't realize that that's been a, 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 an icon in the, in the uh, San Pedro area. They've yes. been there for years. But I guess that's where he... Or they could have gone to Shanghai Reds. Shanghai Reds. No, I don't think he would have taken her there. Native, huh, right? Maybe once in right, a while. Right, right. She probably didn't like it. He probably she, took her some, somewhere nicer. Right. Like, it's, like, less... Uh, just more quiet. Brawlish. Yeah, like, yeah. he didn't want to... He, I think he knew how to treat a lady. And he like, nothing on Beacon Street. Right, and she did most of the work. Okay. I'm not saying that he did no work. But she did a lot of the work. Yeah. Okay, so, anyway, so they, they, they had cocktails for about an hour. Mrs. Newtson... Mrs. Newtson... Clearly remembered Mr. Smith removing his fancy necktie from around his pressed short sleeve shirt, folding it up carefully, and placing it in his front coat pocket. She remembers seeing that happen. I'm glad he did go. I'm glad he did take her to the uh, little drinks, cocktails before. I'm sure they did that all the time. Yeah, I guess you're right. She was shocked and mortified to see the very same tie wrapped around her boss's neck the next morning as she, as he lay, in only his. Shirt, socks, and boxer shorts. Dead in the library the next morning. The library would be... The library of their offices. Yeah. The LAPD and homicide detectives were on the scene by 8 a.m. Here is what the court doc said. At the time of his death, Milo Smith was 55 years old, 5 feet, 8.5 inches in height, and weighed about 197 pounds. His suite of offices was located on the second floor of a two-story building on Pacific Avenue. An alley ran along the back of the building with a parking area in the rear. There were doors and stairways in both the front and rear of the building, giving access to the second floor. The suite consisted of several rooms. One was a large room known as the workroom or library, where Mr. Smith and his secretary, Mrs. Knutson, worked. Adjoining this at one end was a room known as the, quote, 
morgue, unquote, in which were filing cabinets, a refrigerator, and a closet. In this closet, Mr. Smith kept his entire wardrobe, including a number of ties which hung from a rack on the inside of the door. 35 to 45 pairs of shoes were kept on top of the filing cabinets. Adjoining the workroom at the other end were a combination kitchen and bar and a restroom. Across the hall from the workroom were three other rooms, including Mr. Smith's private office or consultation room with windows overlooking Pacific Avenue. This office contained, among other things, car by, Traffic. a desk, a large table, and an upright safe. Mr. Smith was wore bifocal glasses. Even with his glasses, he could not see the dial to open the safe. And to the knowledge of his secretary, he had not opened the safe during the nine years she had been in his employ. In September 1956, the combination to the safe had been changed, and his secretary had typed the new combination on a small slip of paper, which he carried in his bullfold. Mr. Smith was in the habit of carrying large sums of money on his person. In his pocket, he carried a billfold containing identification cards and from 1000 to 2000 in large bills, which I looked it up, and in today's money, that's $18,000, approximately. You're a walking bank. Right? In it. In his front pants pocket, he carried a leather money clip, which ordinarily contained bills of $20 or less. He also carried in his inside coat pocket a secretary-type wallet containing a notepad and pencil, but his secretary had never known him to carry money in it. After locking the office at approximately 5.15 p.m. on August 26, 1957, Mr. Smith and Mrs. Newton went to a nearby cocktail lounge, where they remained for about an hour. Okay, so that's not Pacific. Where it would be... It- it might be. It, I was thinking of Goodfellas. Yeah, it probably was Goodfellas or something. I mean, something got, that's closed down by now. Yeah. Because um, I remember when I going to San Pedro when I was a little kid, so like in this early 70s, mid 70s, um, there was a lot of things that aren't here now. Yeah. There was like there was like this big there. I, I don't know what street it was on. Of course, I don't remember that. Right. But I remember there being like a big Dutch shoe. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and like a donut, yeah. like a big-ass yeah. donut on top of a building. Yeah. And Did my mo- there was some waffle place that my mother loved to go to. It was like some Swedish or Dutch waffle place where right. they, they put like um, like strawberry jelly or jam or something like that on waffle. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't like stuff yeah. like that with, um, with powdered sugar. Right. Ooh, it sounds good. Yeah, yeah. See, my mom liked all that kind of stuff. Have you ever been to the wooden shoe in Inglewood? No. It was a busted brown. It was a busted brown with shoes, and it was a big shoe inside of the. uh, Oh no, no! But I remember being a little black sambos, which I loved, because I like that story. It's a, it's a good story. Mommy. (laughs) Now, little black sambos, where the tiger chases him around the tree, and then he turns into butter. It's like a fable. Anyway, it's like a what do you call it? A cautionary tale. Yeah. Okay. Then what's the name? Painting his face black with shoe polish to make to do a little sambo. I don't know about that. Yeah, it was a white dude that painted his face black, and he got that was, was like uh, like Al jo- Johnson no, or something. No, it was it was totally separate. I, well, I will have to look it up. Yeah, uh, because I, I have no idea. Let's what just say about. that he, they, let's just say that they went to uh, the Goodfellas. We digress. Okay. okay, so Smith was wearing a dark blue suit and a white short sleeve shirt. Before leaving the office, he had removed his tie and placed it in his pocket. Mrs. Newton observed that Smith was wearing his wristwatch and a diamond ring and that he had a substantial amount of money on his clip, uh, oh, in his money clip, including several $50 bills. His name was engraved on the back of his wristwatch. About 6.30 p.m., Mrs. Newton and Mr. Smith separated. So when she went home, do you think she went up to, like, the 30s in San Pedro, like, up there? She probably had a little... No, she lived in Palos Verdes with her husband. Oh, she did? She had a child. Oh, my bad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Okay. 
she was supporting. When detectives questioned the distraught and traumatized Mrs. Marjorie Newton, she mentioned that Mr. Smith's car was missing from his usual parking spot in the back. First red flag. Right? Clearly, this was a robbery gone awry as the suite of offices and oh, had looked ransacked and the hallway leading to the rooms was littered with Milo's shoes. They were all over the place. And, you know, his very expensive shoes, he, which, which he loved. He wouldn't just do that. Right, you know? but your research also showed that at first the thought was, oh, no, I got a lot of work to do. He must have tied one on last night. I don't think he ever did that to his, his property. I don't think he ever treated his clothing or his property with such a disregard right. at all. I think it was a huge, like, whoa, what's going on here? She's already alarmed. Because, look, at the, she, she showed up for work at 7.50 a.m. The police detectives were already swarming the place at 8 a.m. That's right. <laughs> It's not like this was, this was 1957. You know, she had to have ran somewhere and got on a payphone or asked another shop owner if they, she could use their phone. So, something to where... And he was would, a powerhouse in the community. Yeah, so he was. He was absolutely a powerhouse. I'm not saying they wouldn't have done that for anybody else, but I think it was for him they were... Pretty- well, Milo was absolutely a powerhouse. So he was born on December 1st, 1901 in Ohio. And at some point, his parents, I think their names were John and Millie, they left him in the care of his grandparents, his maternal grandparents, and, who lived in um, Minnesota. And they left him there, and they moved out west to California, where they purchased a house eventually on, at 1435 South Weymouth. Still there. Yes, it's still there. It's, it's actually, it's first Bretner, when we went to go look at it, we were like, hmm. But then I noticed, like, how it's a one-story house, but it's long. It's big. Yeah, it is It's long. big. It it's is. And I, I know I, 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 I... And it's a corner house. It's gorgeous, actually. I like maybe the Goonies. And I like, think that maybe he's got, like, money stashed in the walls or something. <laughs> I don't know about yeah. that. Well, so, because... The, okay, so let me finish. So then... Um, so he stayed with his grandparents. And then it shows him... It, it shows him... His address becoming um, 14, or actually not even 1435 South Weymouth quite yet. It shows him living in a community living home, which makes me believe that he was in the Navy or that he came over here somehow. Or maybe he just didn't want to bother his grandparents. No, his parents. Oh, his parents? He, yes. He moved away from his oh, grandparents. His gran- oh, okay. And out here I with his... why they left him with his grandparents. Probably maybe they couldn't take maybe they couldn't take right. care of him at the time, and then maybe he just kind of like liked living there, and he didn't want to be just. Distra- I don't I have no idea. He's definitely self sufficient, that's for sure. Yes, he is because by the time he was twenty five, he was a full blown lawyer. He was the prosecuting um, deputy yes. district attorney for the San Pedro region in Los Angeles. So he made a lot of he made a lot of friends, and he. he I mean, by the work. time he was twenty five, he had a law degree, yeah. and he was already working. Yeah. Yes, he absolutely knew a lot of people. He had a lot of contacts with the police, right. with the law. You know, lawyers, other lawyers, and that's why uh, I think he was coroner. a sharp-dressed man with the money in his pocket. He always, maybe he was always ready to have because he was networking back then. wasn't like it is now. I mean, you got to network. He was networking. Yeah, he was networking the old school style. And what he looked like, like I've seen a picture of him, and it's kind of a grainy picture from an old newspaper, the Long Beach Herald, I think. And um, slick Rick. To me, yeah, his hair slicked back, like he wore. He used Grecian formula. Mm. He had. Dark brown hair, looked like he had brown eyes. He kind of looked like a cross between, I would say, James Cagney and um, uh, Michael Todd, the guy that was married to Elizabeth Taylor. Um, just short and stocky. Well, you know, five right. foot eight and a half isn't that short, but it's not like six foot, which it's so such a trip because he, um, in 1940, he registered for the draft, World War II draft, and um, maybe 1941, I'm not sure. But... Um, 
he stated that he was five foot eleven, and he's not. Yeah, well, you know? I even lied when I was in the military. That's a big cut. Yeah. Three three and a half inches is yeah. kind of a big lie. Well, I didn't lie about my my, my height. I might have lied about my age, so I get into the bars. But I think I picture him as Mr. Gecko in uh, uh, in the Wall Street, just like that big office, and he just like commanded. He never went home. Yeah, I remember being kind of like slick. Oh, I remember him. Listen to me. I I I think of him as being slick. As being like a cool cat, like he probably even used the word cat to like describe other men. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, anyway, so at 55, he had never been married. Um, you know, it just seems like he was just um, constantly working on and building his career as a lawyer, and, making those connections. Right. And everybody, like everybody felt like approachable. Like he, he was like an approachable type cat. Absolutely. Like he would shake your hand and look you in the eye and he would say, Mrs. Newton, can we get Mr. Uh, so-and-so? What would you, what's yeah. your fancy? And he seemed to be somebody that didn't judge. No. And Obviously. so when he um, departed from the, the DA's office, he did go into business for himself. That's when he opened up the suite of offices at 821 South Pacific with a guy by the last name of Wyman. Hey, where was he at? How come he's not in the store? I don't know. I don't know. Um, and I really didn't look into him too much either. But um, uh, he would take on any kind of case, not just defense. He wasn't just a, d a defense attorney. He was also any kind of attorney that you wanted him to be or that he needed, he would take on. And he took on a lot of pro bono cases. Yeah. And so he was very giving of his time and attention. And but he also had a dark side. Yeah, and that might have turned on him though. That 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 giving side to him. Absolutely. But so don't give anything away, please. So his dark side though is, I believe his dark side was that maybe he drank on, drank a little bit too much. Maybe he tied tied one on a bit too much, and that he absolutely enjoyed hanging out and frequenting the bar scene the dark down side. on Beacon Street. Yeah, Which the is the toughest four blocks in the world. Now, right. why would a prominent lawyer in dapper suits and ties, even a prosecuting district attorney, you know, at one time, why would he like to hang out so much below yeah. Gaffey on Beacon Street? That's probably because he could be himself there. He could just let his, uh, you know, let his, uh, do his tie and just not really, uh, I don't know. But then to go around carrying it, uh, on your person at all times, at least like $2,000 or more yeah. at a time. That's... Obviously he was a mark, but he didn't get touched. Or maybe he, he got rolled a couple he, times. Maybe he, maybe he was tough. Maybe he was a tough guy. Maybe yeah. he didn't, he was like, I, tr I triple dog dare you to freaking right. try and take my money. I don't think he really did said that. I, I don't think he did either because yeah. I think that he hid that money and because this is why, because he had that money clip in his pocket. His front pocket, and I think that he hid the big bills for maybe somebody that he trusted or somebody special. I don't know. Right, like you could get the small amount, then what? The, the yeah. two hundred in his pocket. Yeah. But you're gonna, you're never, yeah. you're gonna miss the, the yeah. eighteen thousand back in the day. Exactly. Was, but I think he also kept it just in case. And you never know what's gonna happen in those bars situations. You might meet something. Uh, there might be some kind of deal. There might be something he needed cash. Oh right, huh? Yeah, like there might be. Because I bet you he scratched people's backs and they scratched right. his. Right, so it a been, lot. he could have been on the cuff. He could have had to have to come up with some quick cash because it was a quick deal. He could have came up on. And I think he was always looking for a quick buck. Oh, know, right, like, so he could get yeah. information, too, maybe. Right, right. There was, always know, looking for a win, right. maybe, and too. Right, and I don't think he really uh, didn't say anything about him having his own uh, private investigator. I think he did his own work. And so, basically, this is the other thing, too. You're absolutely right. 
there's nothing bad. I've never read, I've read, I've like searched research and research and looked and looked and looked. And I have not found anything negative that anyone has ever said about this man. No, it's almost like that he had a, he was a Mr. Perfect. A kind of. Right. Even though he did hang out on the dark side of life. But even, even. But people didn't really talk too much about that. No. I don't think there was that much talk back then anyway. They didn't hold it against him. No, because he was willing to help everybody and he was a powerhouse in the community. Yeah, he was. He, what, he really was. Back then, if they didn't, I don't think they really tried to stain up your relationship. They tried to protect you. Now it's kind of different. It seems like if you're if you're on top, they try to knock you. Oh, down. they want to exploit you. They want to yeah. ta- talk all about you. Yeah. They want to dig up all your of dirty, course. dark secrets. Right. Okay, so let's go on. So Milo's wallet and money clip had both been cleaned out. His diamond ring and engraved watch were missing, and the gun kept in. He had a forty-five Glock um, that he kept in his desk drawer was also gone. So Mrs. Newton was able to identify these as missing items. Detectives wanted to know if Mrs. Newton knew what Mr. Smith's plans were for the evening following their departure from one another at 6.30 p.m. And she told them, this is, you want to know what she told them? What did she tell them? <laughs> she told them that uh, Mr. Milo Smith, according to court documents, um, that he drove to the home of a client. Mrs. Helen Seal in the Palos Verdes area of Los Angeles County. Subsequently, I don't, she didn't know this, but subsequently in the company of Mrs. Mrs. Seal's son, Michael, who's 19, he returned to the San Pedro area where the two of them visited several bars. So uh, now that kind of brings up some red flags. Okay, that's a red flag for me because I could say, you know, maybe she wanted her son and he was headed for trouble. Maybe she wanted him to hang around and be a mentor. I don't know how it would... Okay, but first of all, I looked up the drinking age in, in uh, 1957, and it was 21. Yeah. So here he is, a lawyer, a prominent lawyer, and he's, you know, he's, you would think law-abiding, right? Right. In all respects, why would he be hanging out with a 19-year-old boy? I don't know. Taking him drinking, going bar hopping. So, okay, so let's just sit on that. Yeah. Okay. A um, scandal. It's kind of a trip. So detectives promptly showed up at the home of Mrs. Helen Seal... Milo Smith's client, and his drinking buddy, her 19-year-old son, Mike Seal. Mike told investigators that at around 2 a.m., he and Milo were standing on the corner of 5th and Beacon Streets, right in front of the closed doors of Shanghai Reds, tying hard on cigarettes and shooting the shit when they were approached by two young black gentlemen looking to party. The older guy was 22-year-old Charles Evan Turville of Brooklyn, New York, who had recently discharged honorably from the U.S. Navy... And who decided to stick around in the port town of San Pedro just to see if he could maybe find some work or just to stay in California, you know, sunny Southern California. Um, and the other, the oh, he, uh, he by the way, he went by the, the, the pseudonym Johnny Blissé, and that's how he introduced himself that night, was as Johnny Blissé. So okay? He did not mind. introduce himself as Charles Turville. Keep that in mind. So okay. this is the man with money who's a, he's been in the Navy? He's, he, likes he wasn't to- a man with money. No, I'm talking about. Uh, 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 I'm talking about, dude. You need to let me finish. Okay. Okay. The other cat was a 17-year-old who just turned 18 that morning. See, this whole thing is messing me up now. Okay. Like, Wait. What? That can I finish? Yeah, go ahead. That very morning, named Lamar Mitchell, aka Lamar Mitchell. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Anyway, from Wilmington, California, the next port town over. Mm-hmm. 
here's what Mike Seal told the police. Now, okay, understand that he's that they come up like they just so happened to um, these two these two good looking young men just happened to walk up uh, one twenty two saying that his name is Johnny Blasse. Mm-hmm. For all intents and purposes, that's what everyone thinks his name is, right? right. Okay, but his name's really Charles Turville. Sure. And Lamar Mitchell, who just turned 18. Just right. turned 18. They're boys. Okay. They're boys, of course. They're all boys. They're all boys. The only, the only man, really, is Milo Smith. Right, so that's what I'm saying. Was he supposed to hang out with the client's son just to be a mentor? He's still breaking the law. I don't know, I don't know, I don't Why know. Why so go drinking with him? Let's go on. That's crazy. Smith gave Johnny Blissé, whom Mike Seal identified to law enforcement by his real name as Charles Turville... This is later on, right? When they questioned him that day. $20 to purchase a bottle of whiskey for him. Turville returned and said he could not get any liquor and offered the bill back to Smith, but Smith told him to keep it. He's like, oh, go ahead, keep it. And so he pulls out a wad. He peels off a 20. Back then it was like a $100 bill. And he's like, so he's a little bit, you know, So he pulls out his money clip, basically. He's standing in front of uh, Shanghai Reds. He's feeling a little, you know, maybe, you know, kind of blue. And he's been drinking a little bit. And he's feeling like... You know, he's, he's, he's a man that's made his, 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 he wants to show the other youngsters that it can be done. It's possible. I don't know. No, I think that $20 was his way of uh, giving somebody $20 and seeing whether or not they would come back. Right. With either the product, the whiskey, or the $20. Come on, it was more. Eight was his freaking way of seeing whether or not they were trustworthy. $20 is a cheap way to get rid of somebody, even back sure. then. But the Somebody that's going to be dishonest and going to rip you off. You want to do that a couple more times. You just don't. Okay, Brett, whatever. Because you know. Okay, whatever. You... Sometimes you don't, you don't, sometimes, right. and especially in a fast-paced world, like drinking and partying, you don't really give yourself that much time to get to know people. Right. So that's all the tests that you need, okay? Yeah. So a lot of people would fail that test. A lot of people would have gone and never come back. And he'd be like, yeah. well, but screw him. You know what I mean? I got plenty more where that yeah. came from. Here, son, go get a bottle. Right? So... Smith told him to keep the $20. Blissé slash Turville suggested that it would be wiser to drive around in Smith's car than to stand on the street. Smith, Seal, Blissé slash Turville, and Mitchell then drove to Smith's office in his car. So that's like not even that far away. So they were on 5th and Beacon. So a quarter mile. Yeah, 8th and and Pacific is is not that far away. So on arriving at the office, they parked the car in the rear of the building, and the four entered Smith's offices by the rear door and stairway. Smith showed the party through the offices, and after some conversation, gave Mitchell some shoes. I guess Mitchell was like, oh, my God, I love all these shoes. Like, these are so great. So Milo gave him about five pairs of shoes. Giant leather. Right? Um, Neiman Marcus. Saks Fifth Avenue. He then called... Puffums. I don't know about that. Um, Newberries. Yeah. Uh, he then called a cab driver friend who. <laughs> he then called a cab driver friend who brought a bottle of whiskey to the office. He invited the driver to the office for a drink, but the invitation was declined. He's like, "No, no, thank you." After some drinking. Yeah, I mean, this guy, the cab, he's gonna see. He's got three boys up there. What? I mean, yeah, you want to stay and party? Where, where's all the? Girls? Maybe you never know. Yeah, where's all the? Where's the whoopee girls? Well, maybe, you know what, maybe they weren't really worried about that. Maybe they yeah. wanted to watch football or yeah, something. Yeah, I mean, it was a boys' night And out. eat I peanuts mean, yeah. or whatever men do. What was his name, Seal? Signed, sealed, delivered. <laughs> <laughs> After some drinking and conversation in the office, Seal departed, driving Smith's car. 
and returned to his home where he arrived about 3.20 a.m. Now, that trips me out. Really? You're yeah, like, you Why know, does Mike Steele leave? Yeah, he's like, you know what? This is... Why the, would the, Mike Steele no leave? Here, man. Yeah, okay. And then Milo's going to give him the keys to his car and yeah. give him his car, a drunk boy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, go ahead and drive my car home since you're, you want to go home. Uh, okay, anyway. And there's no way they could have pressured him out of it because he's... I mean, he's a nah. seasoned, seasoned veteran from the Shanghai Reds. Uh, mm-hmm. What's, yeah. what's going yeah. on? What, what's going I don't know. I don't know. Shortly before this time, Smith telephoned Mrs. Seal to inquire about his car. So it's like right after Mike leaves, Milo's on the phone already going, is he home yet? Like he wants to come get his car already. Why'd you even let him leave if you already want to yeah. turn around and get your car? So Milo's he's 53 years old. No, he's 55. 55. He's never been married? No. No kids. Okay. Anyway, so about 3.30 a.m., he again called Mrs. Seal and learning that his car was at her home, he instructed, instructed her that it be left in the driveway and said he would pick it up later. What's such a trip is that he called, like, what? First time he called at 3.15, it's a 3.20, right? He calls again. He's obviously, like, agitated. He calls back at 3.30, right? right? And then she had told him, I read in, in one of the newspaper articles, that she had told him that Mike was already asleep. I'm like, in 10 minutes, yeah, he got home, that. threw himself yeah. in bed, went to sleep. My gaydar's going off. That's like, weird. Okay. And so, um, well, Mr. Smith never picked up his car, and it sat in the driveway of the Seal's home when detectives arrived. After speaking with detectives, Mrs. Helen Seal and her son Mike took off hours later on a road trip to Utah to visit relatives. Well, all of a sudden. Yeah, I find that a little bit strange, don't you? Yeah. And the person who's only... Who, who they look at Johnny Blisse, aka Charles Turville, yeah. and Lamar Mitchell. All of a sudden, they just show no, up. No, no, they, yes, exactly. And they met, they supposedly met, came up upon those two, like just out of the blue that night, and that's when they all first met it each other. Like then, how did Mike move. Seal know that Charles Turville, why are you giving that Charles Turville, why did he, why did he know his name was Charles Turville? So, okay, we're gonna take a short break. Stop giving it away, Betty. Oh, oops. What is it? Help, help, help. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Stop. Go. Seven. President Dwight D. Eisenhower was obviously president. Was obviously president? Yeah. <laughs> Richard Milhouse Nixon was obviously the vice president. He did vice president, too. Cold War was at its peak. The Cold War was at its peak. And guess what else the Russians did? What'd they do? Besides making us all afraid. Yes. They launched the Sputnik, a satellite, into space, launching the space race. You mean they beat us in the space race, actually? <laughs> <laughs> they oh, also but... sent a dog up there named Lyco who died. Aww. I know. He burned up in the reentry. I don't like That's it. That's crazy. Elvis was shaking up the charts with all shook up. And that same year, Elvis appeared on Ed Sullivan three times, and they, the people who were filming it, did not show him. They showed him only from the waist up. Why is that? Because they didn't want people to see his nasty, bad gyrating oh, of his hips. Nasty? Wow, yeah. they, they probably pulled roll over in their grave now. They said it was nasty, bad. Today, they see the stuff today. Dick Clark uh, launched his big daily show with American Bandstand in the small... Uh, 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 Menu uh, for ABC? It was for ABC, and it was a local show out of Philadelphia. Nice. Also that year, the women that were lighting up the silver screen were Bridget Bardot, Ooh la la. Doris Day, 
Nice. Mamie Van Doren. I think she was in The Girl Can't Help It, which was like, it was one of the movies that like the Beatles and a lot of um, future generation, like 60s rock and roll stars attribute to uh, the movie that changed their lives and made them want to become rock and rollers. I think I remember her. She had hair that was always the same. It always did. Yeah, same. she was like a sweater girl. Yeah, she, she had like a, a turtleneck sweater and her hair was always like... But it was tight sweater. It yes, showed her off I her remember. Big old boobs. I remember, I remember. Yes. Okay, so Audrey Hepburn, Grace Kelly, and Annette Funicello. Annette Funicello. What was that? Beach Blanket Bingo? Frankie Valley, I think, Frankie too. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were always on the beach and they never changed. They never got sweaty. They never... Yeah. Yeah, and, Okay, and 13-year-old Jimmy Page, everybody knows who Jimmy Page was. Let's Hope. Yes, opened, uh, he won a... In talent- case you don't know who Jimmy Page is, he's of Led Zeppelin fame. Which he knows everything about. But, uh, uh, it's funny that I'm doing this plug. Um, he won a talent contest on the BBC, but his uh, speech was that he wanted to, to be a biochemist and, and cure cancer. Yep. That is so absolutely true. Maybe he cured cancer by soothing their souls with his music. Well, you know what I found interesting that also happened in 1957 was that the uh, lady who, the woman who won the Miss America contest that year, Mm -hmm. her name was Liana Gage. She was stripped of her title because she was found out to be 18 years old, married, and with two children. Scandalous. Did Trump own, he still run that thing back then? No. No, he didn't. That'd be really hypocritical. I know. Uh, For sure. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's see what else happened. Um, You're going freestyle. I feel like mentioning. I mean, there's lots of stuff. You're going freestyle with it now. I kind of am. Um, the 1957 Cadillac Eldorado Brogham, Brogham came standard with a mini bar in the glove compartment. Ooh. Shut the fucking front door. I know, that's balling out of control. I know, but a mini bar, really? Yeah, white walls and a mini bar? Shit. Ice cubes and a fucking glass. <laughs> you just roll the window down and say, what's up, Talk about like a DUI just uh, waiting to happen. Yeah. Oh, shit. Right? Yeah. Um, oh, and this is what's something I found interesting. Killer bees. Oh, that's another scare I had. You know what? I was always afraid <laughs> of killer bees. Me too. It was going to be like three years are going to be over here and they're going to kill everybody. Well, that's when the shit that's started. Crazy. It was 1957. Who was going to start first? Was the Russians going to come over here and kill us or was it the killer well, bees? This is what happened is that they're a man-made hybrid species that are only found in the wild because African honeybees accidentally escaped from a scientist in Brazil. Yeah, they just like knocked over <laughs> these, big, like, yeah. these big things and they were just heading towards America. Like they were just, like everybody <laughs> wanted to kill America back then. That's all I remember. Was, was, I remember my parents telling me that freaking killer yeah. Bees are yeah. on their way. They're freaking the the, the OPEC fucking the the, the the all the fucking uh, sheiks in the oil you know, people wanted to kill us. The, the Russians wanted to kill us, and the killer bees. Who did not want to kill us? In the I know 60s the killer bees. You had Bigfoot running around. Yeah, everybody running around couldn't catch them. I know, right? The Loch Ness monster. The Loch Ness monster. I mean, yeah. it was like, what? Where in the world could you turn and not find like uh, something? It was it was pandemonium. It was out to get you. Yeah. Now it's the pandemic. Before yeah, it was pandemonium. pandemonium. I was thinking about that today. I was like, what, what are they going to look back a thousand years from now? What we all this wearing masks. I used to clown China when I used to hear about the, no, it was Japan when they had that virus attack in the subways and they were all wore their mask. I used to think, wow, what's going on over there? But now we have to wear a mask. <laughs> but that was just a biohazard. It was a biochemist uh, 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 leak. It wasn't a virus. 
Oh, the classic slasher horror film Texas Chainsaw Massacre was partially based on the real murderer, Ed Gein. Yeah, Ed Gein. We did a podcast on that. When Ed Gein's house was searched by authorities in 1957, they found various oddities, including a belt made from people... It, it, it had um, it, it, nipples. It had nipples. It was a nipple belt. Yeah, and a lampshade made from human skin. And he had he had actually a zipper. He had a zipper made from human skin. Creepy. That was crazy. And then he would ask him one day that you know, he, there was a big scuttlebutt about a missing um, store clerk, and they said, "Where's she at? She's missing." He said, "No, no, she's fine. She's at my house." Oh, listen to this. The CDC does not know how many laboratories throughout the U.S. still store the 1957 flu virus. That killed around two million people. What? The Spanish flu? I have no idea. That's that's bizarre. The last flu was the Spanish influenza. It was the flu. Mm. I don't know why they call it the Spanish flu, but it was it was it was it was it was actually in the barracks over here is when they started. So. Okay, well Dream Pets, Career Games, Sea Monkeys, Whammo Flying Saucer, and the Pluto Platter, the remember, Frisbee, were remember, born. Remember the sea monkeys? Yeah, I do. I never had them. My mother always said they were a waste of money. She refused to get them for me and my brother. For my brother and I, excuse me. She said they were a fucking waste of money, and she never got me an Easy Bake Oven, too, which, yes, I still have a resentment over. I'm not going to get over it. You can't make me. We'll get you an Easy Bake Oven. Right. (laughs) Um, She said that they were a mess and that she was going to be the one that would end up having to clean it up anyway. It was an Easy Bake Oven. It was a freaking light bulb. How would it start to clean up? Anyway... Uh, the book On the Road by Jack Kerouac was out. I don't know that one. I never read it either, to be honest with you. I've never even heard of it. Okay, and the biggest television shows were, we'll go down from five. I've Got a Secret, number five, CBS. Have Gun, Will Travel, CBS. Tells of Wells Fargo, NBC. Yeah. Yeah, Wells Fargo. I know, right? Upstanding for the... The Danny Thomas Show, CBS, and... Bonanza. Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke. Yes. CBS. Seth Parker. Seth Parker. That's who was in Gunsmoke. Yeah, Seth Parker. He was the. He was the. He was just. I don't know. He was just. He kind of like looks like a homeless guy today. You know, no teeth. Is he he still alive? No, he was just one of those guys that was always in those shows. I think he was in Bonanza, Gunsmoke, and the guns. The uh, the the gunman. Remember the rifleman? The rifleman with the kid, the boy. No, I never really watched those kind of shows. No, I love those shows. I watched, like, the Rockford Files. But, I mean, this was all in, like, um, reruns, of course, because... Well, I like the Rockford I wasn't Files. I either wasn't alive when those shows first came out, or I just don't remember. It's too young to remember. Well, I mean, I lived with my So grandpa. I watch them later in reruns, Right, you know? I, I watched them because my grandpa watched them. Too. I remember the Carol Burnett, Burnett show. Yeah, my grandma watched that. I did, too. I loved it. it I still think it's funny. It was kind intelligent humor. It wasn't really... It was slapstick, but it was also intelligent. It was a... I don't know. I guess it was a, a merge of both. Okay, well, anyway, so that's enough of our little pop culture pop 1957 lesson. Trying, um, to incorporate, trying to incorporate a little history and, uh, along with a little murder. Murder and history. Pop culture. Pop culture. Okay, on with the story. Okay, so... Uh, before this, we I kind of had everything written out and prepared. Now we're just kind of going off the cuff to finish this up. Freestyle. A little bit. Um, so the investigating officers, this is inside. We're back at Milo's office at 8 a.m. in the morning when they were upon the scene, right? The investigating officers found a bloody footprint near the safe 
blood on the safe, and a bloody mark in front of it, as if someone with blood on his knee had knelt there. A small saucepan of water was sitting by Milo's head, and there was a small wooden gavel partially under the body, under his body. A gavel, like a A gavel, like a judge's gavel. Weird. That's, like, fucked up. Blood and water were mixed on the carpet. The blood was the same type as Smith's. This was back in the day when they only did, they could only identify people by, like, fingerprints and blood type. A.B. Right? When the officers turned Smith's body over, they found that his hands were tied behind his back with his necktie. I had earlier stated that his necktie was around his neck. Well, I think it was actually, it had been used to bind his hands. But he did have something around his neck as well. Okay. There was broken glass on the floor of the workroom, but aside from the fact that the telephone in the room where the body was found was broken, there was no evidence of a struggle in the offices. Smith's money, watch, and ring were missing. Fingerprints and palm prints were found throughout the offices, specifically on the broken telephone, the top of the desks, the filing cabinets, and the closet door. He also had a secretary desk, and the face of that was broken off. Um, the autopsy surgeon testified that in his opinion, the victim had died, meaning Milo, had died between 4.47 and 6.47 a.m. on August 27, 1957, and that the cause of death was massive internal hemorrhage from a rupture of the mesentery. There were 55 external wounds or groups of wounds on the body. The entire rib cage was fractured and compounded externally, and the ligature around the neck had been applied with sufficient force to fracture the hyoid, hyoid, boin, hyoid, hyoid bone to produce discoloration in the skin of the neck. In the autopsy surgeon's opinion, Smith had been garroted, and his injuries were extremely painful and had been inflicted after his hands had been tied behind his back and apparently while he was conscious. So that was basically... a. a Remember that one episode that we did where we found out that, um, what is it? Oh, if you get, if the suicide? No, 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 no. A death, um, 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 oh, we, we thought it was only where you could be, um, have, had your hands tied behind your back. Oh, uh, execution style? A- execution, that was kind of execution so was, style uh, yeah, like that. That's, okay, this is a good example, because right. He was, yeah, because he was because, conscious. Yeah, he was he conscious. Was he bound. Knew, yeah, he knew his fate and he couldn't mm-hmm. get away. Obviously, you know, the way they... He was tortured. Yeah. And it was execution style. But yeah, it's yeah, one of those things where you have to use your imagination, and it's not a, not a good imagination imagination because the way he was killed it was just, it must have been brutal with all the uh, fifty five ligaments and his neck and I, I just, his hands tied behind it's his back. It's horrible. Yeah, and he that's was not brutalized. The, he was right, brutalized. And it's had, the hands tied behind the back is a classic sign of uh, execution style, but that's not always the case. You don't have to no. have your hands tied behind your back, but this is all, obviously that's one of the, uh, the pluses. You just have to be. You don't have to have your hands tied behind your back, but what you do, what. It, Excuse me. Excuse me. What is a requirement is that um, for it to be considered execution style is that you are bound or you're unable to move or escape and that you're conscious. Right. You know what your fate is. Yeah. You know what your fate's coming. And that you're killed like at close range. Right. I don't know. Some people, when they, I don't know. I don't know. I think I'd start freaking out. I just start swinging. If you're, look, if you're being overpowered by people. Right. You know, I mean, yeah, I, you could you could battle all you want, right. you know. It, it's probably just gonna. I don't know. Maybe I don't make know. Worse. I, don't I, 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 I. That sounds so lame though, because I think I would fight too. I would definitely think about, fight. Every time I I'd think about, I'd scream my fucking head off. Everything I, everything, I would scream blood, and I have a loud mouth. I know you would. 
<laughs> Even Josh sounds like a big dog. And you know Look, somebody would like hear I me. I always think you about this. somebody would hear me. I never knew this about, and I've been through the whole Helter Skelter and the Manson thing, and you know, my claim to fame is being in the courtroom with, with, with Manson and stuff. I never knew that the, um, what was the, uh, the wife of the store owner? What was her name, the na- their last names? The second couple they killed? Or the second group of people they killed? The Mansons? Oh, um, the Van Winkle, Rose, Rosemary and Lino LaBianca. The, uh, the LaBianca, that's right. Is the, was she the one that had the, 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 the lampshade lamp on, on the head, head and she yes. was swinging it? She was the one that was fought, huh? Yes. She was like the only one that really fought. Like, we don't know what happened with him. We only know what we heard from, um, from the, from, I think Leslie Van Houten. I'm not sure where we, we heard that story right. from. I'm pretty sure it was Leslie Van Houten. Right. And it's, it, it does, I, I, I have nightmares about that. And I still I know, that of, is a nightmare. Like That's about, a nightmare. I know. I think about, like, uh, execution style. I think about her, like, yeah. with the white lampshade You're on right. her head. And, You're right. And how she was, like, on the bed swinging around with her hands tied behind her back. Yeah. And that, 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 that to me, is worse than any beheading or execution or, or, like, torture. Absolutely. or even again, I've seen a lot of those things on the Internet, and that, that freaks me just the fuck out. Just trying in vain to, to save your own life. Right. And then these people, for no reason, just accosting you and, and turning you into, just turning a perfectly normal yeah. night into a, the most fucked up right. last like, night of your like life. Right, up on a pedestal, like, being clowned or something. Something like, I don't know, like a clown. I don't know, it's weird. Yeah, like, they're, they'd be laughing at you. Right, like, they were laughing. So and they it's know, like in the Bible where they talk about... Where it talks about people gnashing their teeth. Yeah, in the gnashing night. In the teeth. I think like that's, just that's evil a, doers. Perfect. You know? Isn't that perfect? Gnashing in the teeth. Yeah. And just it's evil like, doors laughing and cackling had a and gnashing. They, they had like a business they started. They built from the ground up, and they were I mean, successful people. Okay, but anyway, okay, so yeah. we're yeah, okay, right, really. Okay, so um, I said that I wanted to get through this. So, <laughs> according to uh, the August 29th, nineteen fifty seven. Uh, Pasadena, Pasadena, uh, newspaper article. <laughs> I mean, was, 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 uh, was, was Michael Jackson born yet? I mean... In 1957? The Pasadena Independent. Okay. It says FBI nabs suspect in port killing. FBI was already on it? Listen. That's crazy. Gosh. The FBI last night announced the arrest in Brooklyn, New York, of Charles Evan Turville, 22... This is Johnny Blasse, okay? 22-year-old machinist sought for the brutal robbery slaying of Milo S. Smith, prominent San Pedro attorney. The arrest occurred at the home of an aunt. The FBI said a wristwatch and a diamond ring belonging to Smith was found in Turville's possession at the time of the arrest. The FBI added that at the home of another of Turville's relatives, a 45 caliber automatic owned by Smith was found. Yes. So what happened is... Stop the presses. Wait. Let me get this straight. This murder was committed on the 27th. In the morning of the 27th. And he died between the hours of 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. And the FBI nabbed him on the 29th. Yes. Are you crazy? See, and this is what trips me out, is that... What is Because it doesn't, it doesn't say anywhere. So that was my own... When I said earlier that, you know, that, that, that Mike Seal exposed who Charles Turville really was, the only reason why I believe that is because nobody... I, he, was, he introduced himself as Johnny Blasse. Yeah. And Lamar Mitchell wasn't arrested until a day later, a day after Turville. He wasn't even a suspect. Until a day, listen to me, until a day after Turville was arrested. Right. So basically, Turville told on Lamar Mitchell, okay, as somebody that was there with him. But so, Lamar Mitchell thought that Charles Turville's name was Johnny Blasse. 
So how come there hasn't been anything? I've done tons of research, and I haven't heard one, 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 one article about it was a setup or was it? Well, it sounds to me like it was a setup. Okay. Well, so let me just finish. Wait, we're. I'm I'm getting thrown off rotation here. Well, then because the story's getting bigger than I thought it was. Okay. Well, I get because to... what I find interesting is that yes, like there's all these unsolved murders, and there's all these people that you know said that they were somebody, but they were really somebody else. And then you know what he did was he he left. He he um. He supposedly, okay, so he gave, according to Lamar Mitchell, this is what happened. He got arrested two days later. First of all, as soon as Charles Turville was arrested in Brooklyn, New York, he gave himself up, like, just, and he was crying. He was upset. He was very, he was very, like, I think he was drunk the night that it happened. He wasn't in his right mind. He got carried away. He, He wasn't even, he said, yes, that they beat up Milo Smith. Yes, that Milo Smith had been bragging about having $50,000 in a safe at his office. And that, you know, that that they decided while Milo Smith was using the restroom, the two men decided amongst each other uh, that they were going to rob Milo. Right. But it, by no stretch of the imagination did they try to kill him. They beat him up. They said that, um, they both said that they gave him karate chops, which, whatever <laughs> that means. And, um, and that... Uh, Charles said that Lamar Mitchell left before him and that when he left that Milo's hands were not tied behind his back and that he was not dead. He was in pretty bad shape but he wasn't dead. That's what Charles said. Right. So so the 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 whole question is whether this is a setup from the beginning of the Shanghai Reds or was it just a spontaneous thing when he started bragging about Well, we're going to get to that later mm-hmm. and I will tell you what what my theory is, okay? Right. Because Okay, so finishing on with the story of what happened that night. Um, so after Mike Seal left, right, the uh, he left he left Charles and Lamar there with Johnny Blissé and and uh, Lamar there with with Milo, and I think that Milo was thinking that they were going to continue to party and have a good time, and then he went and used the restroom, and then all of a sudden these two turn on him. Right. You know, and they're they're trying to get him to open up his safe, which he couldn't see anyways, as I stated earlier, and his his uh, secretary had attested to that he could not see. He could not see at all. He'd never opened his safe by himself. He couldn't do it because he couldn't see. Right. With or without his bifocals, the man was nearly that blind. That simple, or he just it was that simple. No, I don't think I don't think so. Mrs. Newsom with him, so he could have someone with him to. open He it needed safe. to have somebody else open right. it up for him, and she was the only one that was right. able to and open it. That might it. be a smart thing. Okay, so he wasn't able to open it. They did find in his wallet, because his, wallet, his wallets were emptied out by somebody. Okay, now, we already know from before that he had in the one billfold inside of his coat pocket that he always carried inside of his coat pocket, right. he had at least $2,000. Right. And that in the front pocket that night, he had bigger bills, $50 bills, $20 bills. Yeah. He had at least probably three or four... Four hundred dollars, we'll say. Right. Okay. When he was when his body was found the next day, he had zero money on him. However, when Lamar Mitchell, Lamar Mitchell only got two hundred dollars. So, he didn't get the full amount. They must. No, paid. but he thought that he split the money in right. half. He thought that that Johnny Blasse, aka Charles Turville, right. or you know, vice versa, was. Um, was splitting the money in half with no, him. No, he wasn't. He no, had, he was not. Yeah, he he he, he, no, he wasn't. Some, 
I think that 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 Johnny Blase he got away with a, he got away with obviously right. a lot more cash right. than he told um, than he told Lamar Mitchell about, and also he got away with the ring, the diamond ring, right. the watch. And he, and he got away with the it. gun. He flossed that stuff too. No, well, he was flossing it in New York, maybe, right. but um, he also still admitted readily to everything. And he even told them where his he still had his bloody clothes in his suitcase. Right, right, that's crazy. Um, and this, this is what I want to know: is how did they find out his name was Charles Turville to begin with? Maybe, maybe, maybe he was. Maybe he had thought this whole thing out beforehand, and he he didn't tell anybody that he was going to take it this this far. Maybe he was the one that was thinking. I know, don't. For some reason, I, know this cat I feel like has, it's the other way around, Brett. I, I mean, this is just my speculation. I think maybe this cat he knew he found out that this cat has more money than he shows in his pocket. Maybe he's got something more. And then and then they found out that he's he, as he was saying, I got fifty grand in my safe. You know, my safe. It's okay. Just, well, let's finish telling the story and then we'll get into okay speculation. Yes. Okay. Okay. So where was I? So then, so they arrest him and then they actually you know he freely gives himself up, gives himself in to the FBI and voluntarily is extradited back to California. He told on Lamar Mitchell, so they pick up Lamar Mitchell, like, the next day, like, on the 30th, August 30th, Lamar Mitchell's picked up. Now, Lamar Mitchell said that he and Johnny Blasse were walking down the street, or and they happened to see two white studs, he said, an old one and a young one, meaning Milo Smith, the old stud, and, uh, and Mike Seal, the young stud, I don't know what he means by studs, but I think that I, I mean, I have an idea of what I think it means, but I'm not sure. So I'm not even going to say, so maybe that's just the way men referred to each other back then. I don't know. So then they all go back to the, the offices. Right. And, uh, at some point Lamar says that, um, Lamar said that he, that Milo went to the restroom, just like Charles said. Right. And that they, the two men decided they were going to rob this old guy and he's bragging about this fifty thousand dollars in his, uh, and he probably did get a little bit too drunk and probably did run his mouth a little bit too much. He probably did do that. I think that um, he did that a lot, you know, and that's just who he was. But and, and for some reason, I I think that that maybe Milo Smith was a tough guy and that he had a little swagger to him and he really didn't think he could be fucked with. You know, here he was ex-military. I think for sure he was in the Navy. He served yeah. in the military. He's one of those old school guys who just thought he, his shit couldn't be fucked with. I think maybe he took didn't take into consideration his friend died and he lost his friend and maybe he was feeling kind of, you know, like... You're talking about Charles Eisenberg, the, yeah, the owner of Shanghai yeah, Red. Shanghai Red. And he was just, uh, I don't know, maybe he was vulnerable. I don't know. So, anyway... Um, Lamar said that they go back to the two men decide that they're going to rob him. He said that Charles Turville started it with the karate chops. <laughs> he said that, um, that he, that, that, oh, so, okay. So there was a point when, when after getting off the phone with, um, with Mrs. Seal. Yeah. To make sure at, his at about, car was back. Yeah. yeah. About three thirty, And he said he was coming shortly. Right. I think it was around four o'clock in the morning that right. he called a taxi a cab. Taxi. And this is, this now, Milo Smith. Cause like right. he called for taxis all the right. time. So, he's still so they alive. knew his voice. Right. And so he called for a taxi, but around like four twenty, four thirty, something like that in the morning. He showed up. The taxi driver showed up, waited like he usually did. And Milo did not come out. And so right. he felt stiffed. He felt like, you know, it was a dry run. He wasn't going to make right. any money, and he was fucking pissed. Right. So then about 45 minutes later, somebody else 
calls for a taxi for Milo, mm. but it wasn't Milo. Right. Because, and, because this is the timeline when they said he probably was expired. Was from 4.30 to 6.30. No. Oh, yeah, 4.47 and 4.47 yeah. or something yeah, like that. It was like two hours that, that, that so he might that's have a, already been dead. It's kind of a big window. Right. Well, why would they call a taxi for somebody that was already dead, though? I, well, I'm not sure. Yeah. So, um, I mean, they, didn't, they didn't have speed dial back then. They didn't have, like... Well, you know. so, so, so this guy, his name is Chester Burns. The second taxi cab the driver. taxi cab driver. And he's like, you know what? I am not going to get burnt. Like, this right. is some bullshit. So he gets out of his taxi, and he walks. He starts walking up the stairs. Uh-huh. You know, and he's also very familiar with Milo Smith right. and picking him up and driving him around in the taxi. Yeah, the and he tip. got a weird fucking feeling. And then he started to creep up the stairs. He saw, like, the hallway in disarray with the shoes. In the expensive shoes that Milo had earlier given Lamar Mm -hmm. in the hallway. And he said that he just got this really eerie feeling and that he heard the opening and closing of drawers. And, like, he almost felt like he heard he heard the sounds of ransacking. Oh, somebody was rifling through shit. Yeah, he felt danger. And so he turned around and split. Okay. Yes. He said, but he didn't say anything. He didn't call anybody. He didn't say anything. Right. You know, maybe he thought, that's Milo's business. I don't know what's going on. And so then, you know, the, the whole... Getting a little fresh with the yeah yeah the scene was the scene wasn't found out until Mrs. Newtson came to work at seven fifty a.m. Right. So, you know, there's also a, po- a potential eyewitness right there in the ca- the taxi driver. Right. Okay, so Lamar Mitchell said that that when Milo that Milo did call the taxi the first time, and that's when they started bashing about him the first time. Right. Like, so when the first taxi driver came, he was getting beat up. The second time, I guess he went to go call another taxi driver. Right. But Lamar said that he put his finger on down on the, um, you know, the he basically turned like hung the phone up. Right. And said, "You're not calling anybody. Right. I'll call for you." Right. And so he called for Milo. Okay. So Milo was still alive. Right. Okay. So it's pretty a timeline for the uh, autopsy, though, right? The, yeah. Well, I, I think that two hours is kind of a long yeah. stretch of time. Though. I think they were a little bit early on the the, the time. Yeah, yeah, there. me too. The four forty seven. Yeah. And um. And it could be very well what what Charles said. So fast forward, Charles gets arrested. Charles says, "Oh no, we left him there alive, and he was not bound behind his back. He was beaten up. He was in bad shape, definitely." Lamar said, oh, no, he was in bad shape. He was fucked up, and he was dead. In fact, I gave him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, which I have a very hard time believing. Because, first of all, Lamar told three different stories. And because with each story that he told, the the detectives uh, were like, bullshit. We call bullshit. So then he changed the story. We call bullshit. Then he changed the story again. And until where, you know, I don't know. So who knows? But, I, you know, I believe Charles, Charles's version of the story i just do so charles said that after he left after lamar left that he left he found he was walking down the street and he ran into a woman named betty lou that he'd known you know girl around town who had a car and so she drove him to um palm springs i guess there's an airport there to get an airplane back to uh brooklyn new york but he missed the plane so she had to go back and take him back to LAX where he caught a plane there. And that's when he went back to Brooklyn, back to his family, and he brought, you know, I, I just think he had a lot of money to be given her money, because, you know, he gave her money. Right. You know, he bought an airplane ticket. You know, he's right. doing this. You know, he's doing that. And when Lamar Mitchell was arrested, he still had the, the $100 bills on him. Yeah. 
So he hadn't spent any of that money. He tried to say that he got it gambling at first, but then, you know, he finally came clean with the truth. So what trips me out is how... Okay, so if you want to get into speculation a little bit... I do. Okay, so I speculate this. I speculate this is what I think, and I could be totally way off and totally wrong. I think that Lamar Mitchell and Mike Seal being closer in age to each other, and also Lamar being from Wilmington and Mike being from Palos Verdes, I think that Mike was probably not that good of a kid to begin with, and that he maybe hung around gambling or back galley gambling or whatever the heck they did back then in 1957. Shooting dice. Yeah, shooting dice. You selling, know what I mean? Selling, selling, selling uh, 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 random links. Right, <laughs> doing like weird stuff, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, and I think that he had befriended or somehow became acquainted, right. uh, gone into the acquaintance with Lamar Mitchell. And um, I think that those, that, that Milo... And uh, Milo and Mike had been hanging out for a while. I think that Milo bragged a lot. I think that Milo also probably, I mean, considering that he let the child drive his car home, right. I think that he probably also freely bought drinks for Mike, uh, gave Mike money, and uh, bragged about this money in his safe. And I think that Mike was out hanging out with uh, Lamar one night or one day or whatever, and that those two concocted up the scheme yeah, but to, what, my question to, is this. to get Milo. What mother would... I mean, I know Palos Verde isn't like... It's like it's those people up there are just people, but what mother would that allow their son to hang out with an older man and go hang out? I don't know. Well, that's also the other thing. Is like, that I feel like that, like I said, I, I can't prove it, I looked and looked and looked for any information I could find out about Mike Seal. And the only information I've been able to find out is about his family, about his mother and his father, Helen and Paul Seal. The They're both from Utah. Yeah. His dad was a, an airline pilot. Airline pilot, yeah. They got a divorce in around 1957, 1958. And I believe that... I don't know why I believe this. I just do. I just think that, that Mike was um, probably a problem child from from the gate maybe a little different maybe I don't know I don't know but I think that Paul that she did I think that she he was a mama's boy and that she let him do whatever he wants she let him get away with things right. and that that probably caused a rift in her relationship with her husband and that's the main reason why they were getting a divorce because you see how she let him go hang out with an older man like yeah. that that's weird that is weird and then then after he's questioned for murder First of all, she doesn't think it's weird that a 55-year-old man's calling, at, like, psycho calling at the early hours of the morning, wondering where his car is. Right. That She doesn't find that weird. Isn't she wondering worse? My I mother guess. would be like, who the fuck yeah, are like, you? Where, like, why would you give her exactly. the keys to your car anyway? Like, what, am I, what is wrong yeah, with you, you I know? Even be, I, I don't get that. That's I don't weird. either. Like, and then, then she, then she, um, he, you know, he's questioned by the police. And then they take off for Utah. Yeah, I just think his mother probably co-signed a lot right. of his bullshit, and right. that he got away she with, with him. Yes, I think that's very Maybe odd. She was in cahoots, man. Very odd. Yeah. See, so. We'll never. Okay, know. so in January of 1958, um, both men they 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 weren't tried together. Uh, Lamar Mitchell, because he was I guess 17 at the time. He was 17, like he turned 18 either on that day or the next something very close. He was like his birthday was right there. Was it was his birthday on the day? I thought it was, yeah, but but for some reason he was still tried as a juvenile. Yeah, which is why I think that that um, there's not a lot of information that can be found out about him. Right. Um, 
but he was given a life without the possibility of parole, I'm pretty sure. And um, Charles was given the death penalty. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, like 1958, Charles, uh, you know, he um, he did his appeal. And one of the one of the points of his appeal was that he felt like he was given unfair representation because every single person that was available to represent him at that time was a friend or an acquaintance or an associate. Of Milo. Yes. Yeah. And even his and even the last lawyer that he had, the one that he had when he got the death penalty, right. had said to him, "Look, I knew Milo. Right. Like, so I'm not really like here for you. Yeah, I'm not kind trying of. to. I'm not trying to get you off. Yeah, exactly." Yeah. You know, and so then... Burning hell. You know, probably. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't get beat up for that. I mean, who knows? It would be hard to find somebody who disliked Milo. Yes, but I believe... So let me just finish. So then, and also another one of his, his, um, the points that he made in his appeal was that it wasn't fair that, because he says that he did not murder Milo, that he left and his hands were uh, not tied behind his back and that he was not dead. And that Lamar left before him, which I don't believe, because I think that's one of the first things they would have done with him, because he wasn't he wasn't some pushover. They probably would have bound him up first. Yeah. Well. Okay. So. Yeah. In speculation. Yeah. I mean, they're also look at. Hey, Johnny Blissey also just got out of the Navy, and he was young, fit, twenty-two. I mean, you never know. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, come on. Well, Milo, Milo was out. drunk. Yeah. Be, I mean, they, they've been. Maybe they weren't even really drinking. Maybe yeah. they were just pretending to drink. Right. You know, Milo was shit-faced, I'm sure. Right. I okay. see him with a little flask. You know, you, no, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And so, um, plus, he was, at first, I believe that at first, okay, so I think that at first Milo might be thought that there was um, some kind of energy or some kind of a mutual attraction between him and Johnny Blissé, mm. Charles Turville. Yeah. I think that he thought that they were going to get it on. Okay, so I just get said it. On. And... As soon as Mike Seal left, that was Mike's cue to leave. Yeah. Right. As soon as Mike left, then it turned south like quickly, yeah. and then that's why he was like started, you know, psycho calling Mike's home, like, right. you know, waking his mother up in the middle of the night, wondering where his his car was, and saying he was coming over. Fast. I think he started panicking a little bit. You know, he, he saw that he had made right. a, a bad decision. Or maybe he saw that Mike was in on it too. I don't know. Not maybe Mike wasn't in on it for some reason. I just feel like he was. Right. I feel like the, the one that got duped here was, if anybody, was Charles. Insofar as like the um, the robbery and stuff goes, I think that he got kind of sucked into it. And um, also part of his what he what Charles was saying, and at one part was that um, the reason why he got so angry was uh, you know to where he gave Milo Smith karate chops was because. Milo had made a pass at him. Mm. Okay, well, I think that the two men, that if Milo was, in fact, gay, okay, a homosexual, I believe that they saw that he had money with the $20, you know, in the beginning. Here, go get me a bottle of whiskey. That they saw the, the little, just the little money clip full of money. You know, they saw that, and they were like, ooh, you know, their eyes got big. And they were like, um working him so they were pretending so I think that maybe Johnny Blissé slash Charles Turville pretended to be interested in Milo otherwise why would other why else would Milo why else would he do that why else would he think that he's not he wasn't a stupid man and this man had obviously 
kept his identity hidden and concealed, you know, successfully for right. a very long time without any That's incident happening to him previously. Right. So he was a good judge of character. Yeah. You know, I feel like he was tricked. Not on this night, he wasn't. Well, he was tricked, okay? Yeah. And and it was like, that's not cool. Right. And I think that that happened to a lot of people, a lot of I'm homosexuals sure back then. Right, yeah. And this is one that it, it happened with. They didn't really... And that's not so not okay. That is so fucked up. They didn't up. really claim that he was homosexual, so it was, it, yeah, we don't Nobody know. Nobody ever said that, so we no, don't know that I, for I, sure. I, We're just right. guessing that. I think that. that's why that there's not much on it, because, uh, because they probably suspected it, but they didn't put it. They didn't spot him up. I think it was too respected in the community for the smut him up. Like well, that. also though, what I found interesting was that okay, so, so, <clears throat> so Charles Charles Evan Turville's first uh, his first appeal, I think it was rejected, and then he had one shortly thereafter, and it was approved, or he was given a pardon by a judge, and that judge was um, Edmund Brown, Edmund G. Brown. He went by the he went by the nickname Pat, which I don't know where that came out of Edmund G. Brown, but he, so he went by Pat Brown, and he was the governor of California. Right, no relation to, to the other Brown. No. no. So he was the governor of California, and um, every time that a governor is leaving office... They, I guess, they get an opportunity to uh, answer to to requests for a pardon right. or or clemency. Um, pardon or clemency. Yeah, uh, by Pardon's by prisoners, right? Yeah. So he had like sixty five, sixty five of these that he was looking at, and out of the sixty five, he chose twenty three people that he was going to give clemency to. Um, and then the others, you know, and he wrote a book. It was the talisman for the dark ages. He wrote a book uh, yeah, That's about, cool. about, you know, what his whole thought process was. Right. And when he first became governor of California, that he was totally for the death penalty. He fucking, right. you know, he, he thought that all people that murdered anybody should die. Right. But then once he was given like this, this position or this opportunity to where other people's lives were in his hands, right. he really stopped and he really like, like looked at each case carefully and he really weighed and thought about each one yeah. deeply. And he wasn't just like, he wasn't just doing it to, to fucking, he wasn't fucking around. You right. know what I mean? Like he wanted to take it seriously and to, to do this like to the best of his ability, right. make these decisions on these other people's lives. So he pardoned three, 23 people and Charles Turville was one of them. That meant that Charles Turville got, um, a he, chance to, he got his, his sentence reduced from, Death to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Oh, so he worked his way down. All the, yes, went, yeah. and then the next appeal that Charles right. did, this all happens very fast too. Right. He got it down to he got it to life with the possibility of because parole. Because he had so much time behind him, he did. Have, I yeah, because he can. He and, can. You can do it. You can you can yeah. work your way off. And once you get off that death row, then oh, there's all all, right. all chances of all, all hope. There's all hope. Ultimately, and I couldn't find out what year it was. I looked and looked and looked. Charles Turville got released from prison. Yeah. Okay. So he, he went from death to death, uh, life without, right. to life with. Right. And then released. Right. All within like a ten-year period, right. very short, short period of time. That, yeah. No, but this is what Pat Brown wrote in his book, *The Talisman for the Dark Ages*. 
is that, you know, when he, there's, there's maybe one or two of the decisions that he made that he regrets, right? Or the people that he let go or right. whatever. But that Charles Turville went on to live an exemplary life. So he was a success, success story. Absolutely, 100%. And this is what, from what I know about Milo Severn Smith. So that could go back to the Is that he would case. agree. Right. He would agree. Even though this was possibly his murderer, that he would agree with that decision. Right. 100%. He would agree with it. He would rally for it. He would right. defend it. He would stand by it. He would represent it in this court of law. You know what I mean? And I feel like justice has been served in this case. And Milo Smith's life wasn't in vain. No, it was it not. Was, it was... Uh, like I said, like okay, so he's in front of the um, uh, Shanghai Reds, and he's feeling what he's feeling. He's lost his friend. Because I guess they were tight. It never said they were tight, but obviously they were. Yeah. And um, like you know, he's kind of showing off to the youngsters, whatever. I don't really care if they, if he was homosexual or not. I don't. That doesn't really. That's I'm, besides. It doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, and I don't really. Care it doesn't about matter except for that, unless he was set up. Like right. they use that against right. him. That's really sad. Because maybe he was mentoring this, that makes this me lady's sad. son. I don't think so. You know, but that's kind of weird how she would let him go. I don't know. It's kind of weird to me. It, it, it's just a, the whole thing's odd. So this is was so an, well, this was is, another way. This was another point that Charles had put up in one of his in one of his um, his appeals, which I thought was very interesting. Is that he said, "Why weren't any other suspects considered other than myself?" And Lamar Mitchell, he said, he said he brought up Mrs. Newton. He said, after all, she could, she's the only one that could get into the safe. He said, what about Mrs. What about Helen Seal and, and her son Mike safe? Seal? Listen, let's yeah. just can I finish? And then he brought up I can't even I wish that I had it in front of me right now the notes. He brought up the coroner at the time. <laughs> so weird. A sem- no, a man, okay, a, a, Mr. Pinkerton. Pinkerton. And when I looked up this guy, Mr. Pinkerton, he was the coroner of that area of, of right. San Pedro, Los Angeles at the time. And I was like, that's interesting. Why would he bring him up? Right, I don't know. That's weird. As a suspect. But anyway. Yeah. Right? Wasn't that, wasn't uh, Nagasaki after that? The, the no, Mr. Pinkerton. I'm talking about no, in I know, this. I know. Yeah. At the time, but yeah. later on there was. Bru- yeah, that right. doesn't matter later that's on. That's weird. That is weird, right? Yeah. Well. I don't know why he would bring did you didn't say why he brought him up there? No. Because I was like Mr. Pinkerton and I looked it up Mr. Pinkerton, San Pedro, That's California. Weird. I Googled it. And it came up with this guy that was a coroner at that time. Right. And he'd been coroner actually for the last right. like, forty years before that. And so they probably he and Milo probably knew each other. Right. Obviously. They probably did. I'm yeah. sure he worked with him too. And perhaps maybe they had some kind of relationship. I don't know. I think he read a book later on about the next book corner too. Was the one who did all the, the. Yeah, but that has nothing to do with what we're I'm talking just, about, Brian. I know it's weird. He's just weird. Fuck. You can bring anything up in court, I guess. Yeah. So Brett and I have gone over this case and over this case and over this case, and it's interesting to me. Just because I don't know, I just find it interesting. We've been bouncing it around for three months. We have because like, also we we've been we've been working a lot. We've been do you know, and now the pandemic uh, part, part two is happening. Yeah. And all I can say is this it's is like a wave. Yeah, and it's really upsetting to me because this is gonna be our legacy when we when we pass. I mean that we were during during the pandemic. It's like come on, people, stop arguing. Stop. Stop. Like, fucking, you know what? Just acquiesce just this one time. Put on your masks. Wash your hands. Wash your right. bodies. Use hand sanitizer. Don't touch your face. 
you know, stay six feet away from other people if you absolutely 100% have to go out. Right. Like, Brett and I have done a lot of grocery shopping, and I find that there have been a lot of people in there, and we, we grocery shop for other people for a living. I have found that there's a lot of people in those grocery stores that do not need to be there. I'm sorry, but they could stay home and order groceries yeah, for us to deliver. They're like the, they're, they're the, they they're don't the elderly that are wandering around. They're just wandering around like, they, like I don't know. I don't Every get it. single morning, are they on a suicide lined mission? up around the corner starting at 5 a.m. at any given grocery store, like, fucking stay home and let somebody grocery shop for you. Right. Relatives of the elderly, go spend some time and, and go online and, and have us do it for them because they just get in our way. Not just the elderly, anybody. I know, but you can Anybody. See, you There's can tons see, of people, you can Brett. You see the ones that are in there floating around doing nothing. Brett, you there's tons their, of people. You can look in their car and you can see they're just in there for nothing, for no reason. I remember in one of our earlier episodes, I had said that I wanted people to stay a Jeep's length away from me. Well, you know, come on, at least stay arms six feet away, man. Like, honestly, I know it's stressful. I know it's putting a lot of people out. It sucks. It doesn't always feel good. It can be awkward, like totally 100% awkward, especially when you're in a grocery store and it's like you have to go like, I mean, that's what I do. I go, I'll go all the way around. I'll, I'll walk a hundred extra steps. You know, I'll wait at the top of an aisle for someone else to get I know, out of the aisle. I follow you with the cart. Just to, right. So I know just, the thing you is, you know, like, to be stand- respectful and to be thinking of others and to not like, you know, just to, to, to be mindful and respectful right. when you're so in that aisle- we can stop doing this, so that we don't have to live this way forever. Because I have two sons. One is 24 and one is 27, and this is not what I want for them. And hopefully if they ever do have grandchildren, I don't want them to have, you know, I mean. Yeah, like the, the, the rule of being in an aisle, one person in an aisle, that's bullshit. You can't have one person in an aisle. It's, 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 well, that, it's true. It's yeah, absolutely necessary, though, Brad. It ain't going to happen. It's well, not going to happen. And you stand at the end of the aisle, it's, fuck that. I'm going down the aisle. If they don't like it, they can kiss my ass. Because, see, it's, you're being selfish, though. Yeah, you're right. It's just really, it's, it's, I mean, I don't know. But, you know, and I'm selfishly, I will send Brett down the aisle. Yeah, like, I don't get it because they look at me like I'm freaking, like I'm like like I'm the, the leper or something. I don't know. No, no, usually, because so the people that, we, that I do walk by, for whatever reason, are other workers, like people that work at, like, Target or people that work at Albertsons, any one of the given grocery stores. Because I feel like if they're there, then they're like us and they don't have anything. Right? Right. They're obviously approved to and shown to not be contagious or to have any virus or to have any sickness. Right? So I'm just assuming that, though. But I don't go rub shoulders with them. But, yes, sometimes sometimes it does get into, like, a pinch where you, you absolutely have to, like, you know, get something off the shelf. And some people will just stand there. It's almost like they know that you need to like, go look at which, which, That's which of the I'm hundreds, wait, which of the hundreds of different kinds of mayonnaise you need to find off the shelf. Look. Wait, let me finish. And, um, and, and they'll stand there in front of the mayonnaise that you need to go look at and figure out which one you need to grab. And you know, what and saying. they'll stand there for like 20 minutes. Should I get mayonnaise or Miracle Whip? And they're out of the corner of their eye. They're looking at you, knowing you want to get down there. Yeah. And they're fucking with you on purpose. That's and I what, can't prove it, but yeah. Like, sometimes like, I feel like that like, too. Like, 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 and you look in their cart, and you know they're not. They're just there for a few things. They couldn't. They don't have to be there. That's they bullshit. really don't have to That's be there. Bullshit. Are they fucking? Are they? Are they serious? Right. Yeah. But there's also been a lot of people with gratitude and a lot of people with kind words and loving kindness to show us that we have delivered groceries to, and I appreciate that very much. Yeah. So. Yeah, we get those tips. I'll send to you, Brad. Love me, Nifty, but send me 50. 
Okay, well, Love all me right. Fine, but give me a dime. So, thank you for listening to this episode. We're going to try and get out more each week. And remember, once in a while, when you, if you ever visit San Pedro, think about Pacific, and it's a, uh, it's a pawn shop now. There was Milo's little office, his little hub. It wasn't and, little. It was well. Big. Back then, it was. To me, now it's like I don't know. It's, it's like a, now it's some yucky, yeah, it's like a community heroin. hotel with yeah. like a shared bathroom. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so what do we want to tell people also to oh, don't don't let the smile fool you and no, wear, don't let the sunshine fool you. Oh, don't you. let the sunshine. Oh yeah, don't. That's on my chest. Okay, don't let the sunshine fool you and wear your mask six feet and wash your hands and have uh, a disinfectant for your hands all the time. Yeah, and have yeah. an awesome and good day. Yeah. Bye. So near a cow.